0: Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, We're going to focus on a trend that's been around for quite some time and is likely to be with us for a long, long time. It's also likely to affect many of us at some point in our lives. I know it's affected me. I'm speaking about the role of caregiving for a close family member. To help us better understand the family caregiving trend, including how caregiving has evolved, where it may be going, what opportunities it might offer, and to receive some caregiving tips we've brought on an expert in that field she's dr cheryl woodson dr cheryl woodson spent almost 40 years teaching and practicing geriatric medicine while raising a family and shepherding her mother's 10-year journey with alzheimer's disease now retired Dr. Sherl is an award-winning author and speaker who guides families to give excellent elder care without sacrificing their health, finances, and relationships. She promotes self-care in women who take care of everyone else and presents practical strategies to face life's challenges with resilience, integrity, and joy. Dr. Woodson is also the author of two caregiving books, To survive caregiving, a daughter's experience, a doctor's advice, and, the soon to be released, the doctor is in. Before we get to Dr. Cheryl Woodson, I just want to share this brief message from today's sponsor, Get Zage. Do you have an elderly relative who's independent but needs a little help once in a while? Maybe to take them to the doctor or help them with little things around the house. But you can't be there. Use the Get Zage app and send a Zage pro to help out when you can't be there we are
1: hi Cheryl. welcome to looking forward hi how you doing i'm so glad to be talking to somebody from philly because i'm here in chicago and i can't get a decent cheesesteak for love of money so i'm <laughs> happy to be here
0: <laughs> I, I believe it we got to get you out of wrigley field and we got to get you back to philly in the citizens bank park and it's great to have you on the show Well, thanks for inviting me. You're welcome, Cheryl. Now, Cheryl, before we go any further, since some people who listen, and we have people from all over the United States and outside the United States, some of these people may not know exactly what we mean by a caregiver. I've actually used the phrase family caregiver to be more specific in the intro. Can you please give us all your definition? You've written two books about what it means to be a caregiver.
1: A caregiver is someone who does something for someone else that they cannot consistently do for themselves. Many caregivers don't recognize that they're caregivers because they've started helping so slowly and their hearts are so good. You know, they just really want to help. But if you are responsible for something someone cannot do for themselves, no matter how big, how small, you are a caregiver. When you speak about
0: that, it seems like it would encompass so many different individuals lives so I have to ask you Cheryl how likely is it that someone would become a caregiver to an ill family member for a chronic condition not talking about somebody maybe had the flu and you help them out
1: It, it is very very common and the age of caregivers are actually getting younger Hmm. because millennials are coming back home, you know, because they've lost jobs or they have big loans and they find out that mom or grandmom aren't doing as well as they thought. So the number of caregivers and if you, the opportunity to be a caregiver is expanding for, for everybody.
0: Cheryl, sure. well, that is really interesting. We're probably going to dig a little deeper into that as we move on later, but I had not anticipated that. That is not at all what I thought you were going to say. We don't pre-rehearse these shows. Yeah. The average caregiver used to
1: be 58 years old. That is not true anymore. 58, no more. Okay. That's not the average
0: age. Wow. There's a trend right there. Now, what I'm curious about is we know you're a physician. We know that you have been a geriatrician. You're retired now. Was it medicine that first got you involved in issues related to caregiving Or was it navigating through your mother's tenure journey, as you refer to it, with Alzheimer's
1: disease? It was actually before that. I had three of my four grandparents until I was grown. And so old people were not scary. They protected you from your parents. (laughs) I, I did not have a negative opinion of aging. And when I got into medicine, I got tired of 20-some-year-old white male medical students calling 80-some-year-old Black women patients by their first names. Mm. And I got upset when people wanted to deny care to someone based on the date they got on the planet. And that's what got me into academic geriatrics so that I could train all physicians about taking care of older adults. And then I realized that fellowship training was too late. So I had to go back and start teaching medical students in residence. And it's just been the greatest fun because the, the value and the wisdom of older adults cannot be valued. I mean, it's just amazing how much they have to offer and how much they deserve. Yes.
0: And you having gotten involved in geriatric medicine, It sounds like you were sort of early on in that. There's such an incredible demand. When I was first involved in the field of marketing to older people and working with older people when I worked for Medicare, there was an incredible need for geriatricians. And I would imagine, even though you've been one, there's probably still a great need, isn't there?
1: There's a great need, but unfortunately, the supply is not following because the demographics do not drive the dollars. Yes. It is difficult to manage as a geriatrician because our health system pays mostly for procedures and there's no gerioscope. You know, we don't have a a procedure to bill for. (laughs) And you can't see 50 older adults in a day in a practice and manage all their chronic illnesses and their medications and work with their caregivers. It's just not possible. This is
0: kind of an aside to that, excuse me. Is that why we are seeing an increase in the so-called boutique doctors?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's not just about aging. It's about the paperwork and the regulations and the amount of staff that you have to have to cover all of that makes it more difficult to make a living, even if you have procedures to do. Yes. So it's hard. But then there's this core group of people who are primary care folks who are committed to taking care of people and keeping them healthy. And it's from those folks that I would like to recruit more folks going into aging.
0: Yes. As you know, Cheryl, Looking Forward focuses on the future, but to do that, we first like to look backwards a bit. Can you please share with us your perspective on how the role of caregiving for a loved one, be it a parent, a spouse, somebody else, has evolved over say the last several decades?
1: This is what I call the crisis in caregiving that exists today. In previous years, people didn't live as long as they live now. And they didn't live with conditions that need more care every single year. It used to be that if you got sick, you either got better or you died. And so the amount of caregiving was not as prolonged as it is now. Also, people used to live around the corner. Now they live around the country. Yes. (laughs) And each, Subsequent generation has had fewer children. So there are fewer caregivers available in a family. My my grandmother had eight children. My mother had two. (laughs) My Mm -hmm. grandmother had four girls. My mother had one. (laughs) So each generation has more responsibility and fewer resources. And that's what makes it the crisis in caregiving. But I think what hurts caregivers is that they feel guilty that they couldn't do it the way their mothers and grandmothers did. Not understanding that it is not the same thing. They were doing apples, we're doing oranges. So that guilt is unnecessary because what we're facing, no other generation has ever faced. We talk about the sandwich generation where people are taking care of seniors and children. My position is that the caregiver sandwich in the 21st century is a multi-decker club because people are taking care of parents, grandparents, children, and grandchildren while they're trying to work, while they're trying to stay married, and while they're trying to plan for their own golden years. This has never happened before in history.
0: A lot of great stuff there. Let me just have you comment a little further. You mentioned the fact that people are living longer And so the duration of caregiving may then be longer. The other thing that you mentioned is we have fewer children being born in the more developed nations. So that puts the onus more on the fewer children. And then I guess if you add to that, the fact that we have more women working Then maybe years ago, can you comment again
1: a little bit more on this mushrooming of things? Oh, yes. Um, Women being in the workforce has made it even more stressful. There's a book called The Second Shift that talked about women working and taking care of children. And what we have seen is working women are still taking care of everybody. They're taking care of children and seniors. And what my concern is, is that we're We're developing another generation of impoverished seniors because a lot of these working caregivers end up retiring early to take care of somebody, maybe before they're adequately vested in their pensions. There's also what is called presenteeism, where your body is at work, but your mind is home with mom. Or you're calling and arranging for caregivers or calling and making doctor's appointments. And so there are productivity issues at work that may cause people not to get promotions, not to get increased salaries, and also may cause termination. So one of the things I'm interested in for working caregivers, men and women, is that corporations put together employee assistance program benefits for elder care. It's better for them because they don't have staff turnover and recruitment and training costs. And it's better for them because they don't lose productivity And then it's better for our working caregivers.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I know that there has been interest in that and perhaps some response to it for many years now, because I used to talk about this years ago and write about it. And that was a pressing concern, it seemed to me, then, too. And I'm talking again, in the 20th century.
1: One of the problems is that a lot of these working people don't realize they're caregivers. Yes. So they're not part of the lobbying. They're not part of the demands because they just think this is how their lives are. And they don't understand that it's something that affects many, many people, not just them. You're not alone.
0: And I thank you for, in many instances, including right now, I'm looking forward raising people's awareness of that the challenges of it and the need to really try to get some assistance when necessary. And we'll get to that too. Now the sandwich generation, I just want you to say a few words about that. I tend to think of that as this husband and or wife. It may be more the wife than the husband at home, or maybe it's a single parent, right? And they've got the young kids or more often it's the teenagers, right? And they've got a mom or a dad. That's kind of a, a, a typical case of sandwich generation, right? I know it could get worse, as you talked about.
1: Oh, yes, because when I was in geriatrics practice, I sort of had a family medicine practice on the other end. I had a 104-year-old woman being taken care of, a 90-year-old woman being taken <laughs> care of by a 70-year-old. So <laughs> I've, I've seen the whole thing. Wow. But many grandparents are having to step into the care of dependent children. Because of incarceration, because of substance abuse, because of mental health disorders, because of mobility, because of deployment. (laughs) You know, a lot of grandparents are having to step into the gap of school-age children while they're taking care of their seniors. And again, this is something that did not happen 1,500 years ago. This is a new phenomenon.
0: Yes, thank you for enlightening us on how this is evolving. If we try to quantify this a little bit, Cheryl, and I don't expect you to be a statistician or have all the numbers, but roughly speaking, how many adults, at least here in the United States, would you say are wrestling with the challenges of caregiving right now, or maybe what percentage? And Has this number tended to remain pretty stable or is it going up or down?
1: Oh, no, it is going up. The last statistics I saw was that maybe 10 years ago, it might've been 45 million people as caregivers. And now it's 60 some million people. And again, I think it is underestimated because many people don't recognize that they're caregivers. What hasn't changed much is that for As long as I've been, I mean, I graduated from medical school in 1981. As long as I've been looking at aging, more than 75% of the care that's given to seniors in this country is given by the family. That hasn't changed. It may have gone up toward 80%, but people still think, the policymakers still assume that the family is going to do this. Yes. And that has not changed. That's something that we really have to that needs to be part of our lobbying in the future is understanding that the family is not a non-working 50 year old woman at home doing nothing else but taking care of grandma. You know That the face of caregiving is a working person who has multiple caregiving responsibilities and policy just has not kept up with that.
0: Excellent point. And a perfect segue into something else I'd like you to just comment about a bit. I know this may not be your expertise, But looking forward reaches a global audience. I mentioned that before. And especially when you talk about family support, you speak about family support, government support, corporate support, or maybe a lack thereof. How would you say that the way you describe caregiving and caregiving trends in the United States might be similar to
1: or, or different from Canada or Europe, Asia, any other part of the world? Well, what I understand is that Sweden does a better job at this than other countries because they have multi-generational communities. Older adults may not be as segregated in terms of their housing, in terms of their involvement in society. And in Western societies where old isn't a bad thing and where it talks about us rather than them, I mean, things that improve the health of older adults improve the health of other people. For example, the curb cuts that allow you to roll a wheelchair into an intersection helps a mother who has a stroller with babies in it. You know, so we need to look at societies where they have seen it as a way to help everybody that raises everyone's standard of living. And we have not made that a priority in most places in this country.
0: Yes. And Going back to something you said earlier, Cheryl, which is this idea of people having fewer children. As you well know, this is a significant issue in places like China, in Japan, in Italy, in other countries in Europe. So you have to believe that those societies which are aging, quote unquote, must have caregiving challenges that are not too dissimilar to ours because there aren't that many people to caregive.
1: Absolutely. I'm sure that their policies may be falling behind. But again, in order to lobby for changes, people have to understand that they are caregivers <laughs> and they have to be willing to let their voices be heard, to talk to their congressman. One of the things I say in my book is that you invite your legislators to come to a community forum. And in an election year, they're more likely to do that and tell them if you had had X policy, you would not have had to do Y. You know, you wouldn't have had to leave your job if you had adult daycare. You would not have had to, whatever terrible thing you had to decide might not have been there if there had been an employee assistance program benefit to help you find elder care. Um, One of the home health agencies I worked with actually took a legislator on home visits to show them about loose rugs and absence of food and caregivers who are just pulling their hair out trying to get things done. So unless the legislators really hear what caregivers need, they have no way to help us.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great suggestion especially when the politicians are running for office, right? I, yes. I think it's a great suggestion. I want to come back to something that you've mentioned a couple of times and ask you about it, which is a lot of people don't even realize that they are caregivers. How do we actually come up with numbers? Is that in the census? How do we know how many people are caregivers?
1: ARP and the National Caregiving Alliance every year put out this big demographic thing on all the caregivers. And that's where you will find those numbers. But, you know, we just did a census. And in that census, it didn't ask if you were taking care of anybody. It asked who was in your household, but it did not ask you, were you a caregiver? What a missed
0: opportunity, Cheryl.
1: It didn't ask, are you depressed? Are you having trouble buying food? You know, all the things that have to do with life, it just asked how many people live in your house and how. what are their ages. That's an opportunity that is missed.
0: Absolutely. What a great opportunity to get some data that might help us influence social policy and hopefully improve our society and our families. That's really a shame.
1: But- it's important because I had a 58-year-old caregiver drop dead and leave two 80-year-old people here.
0: Oh, my.
1: She knew to the last pill when their prescriptions were going to run out, but she hadn't had her blood pressure taken. She didn't know she was diabetic, and that heart attack came out of nowhere, but it actually didn't. She took care of them. She didn't take care of herself. And the numbers that I heard is almost a 30% of caregivers may die before the people they're taking care of.
0: Thank you for pointing that out. I remember mentioning that years ago, that the toll that caregiving can take on the person who gives the care will often lead to them passing before the person that they're giving the care to. And you just said the figure is 30%?
1: The last figure I saw was almost 30%. But to me, it's not just physical death, there's spiritual death, death of your dreams, death of the joy in your life that makes a difference. I mean, I think we have to protect all of that in our caregivers.
0: I really agree with you on that. Now, we've been talking about things that have led up to the present time, and you've been great about giving us some examples of how things have changed, what the trends are in caregiving. From your perspective, and you're probably going to pick up with something you said earlier, what effect has COVID-19 had on the needs for and the challenges of caregiving, Cheryl?
1: Well, COVID-19 has been a problem primarily, I think, because of isolation. A lot of the support that people got going to churches or going to, even going to work. I mean, a lot of people's socialization is around that water cooler. They felt, felt that they were alone. And many people in, who are giving care think they're alone anyway. So now you're really isolated. That has been a big problem. And the fact that you can't get care because many organizations were not sending workers into the home. So here you are, you're you're working at home because you're not going out either. And not only are you being the school teacher, you're also being the caregiver, direct caregiver, when you used to hire people to come in, or they used to go to adult daycare, or they used to go to assisted living. I mean, many assisted livings saw a decrease in census because of the number of outbreaks of COVID in those institutions. Many families brought their folks home. Well, who took care of them? The person that was taking care of everything else. So I think COVID definitely has increased the demand and decreased the support for caregivers.
0: I wouldn't doubt it. I want to ask you along those lines, historically, I guess I would say at least In North America, or maybe I should just say the United States, it was the female who led the caregiving effort. There are exceptions. Has anything No, I used to
1: say, yes, I used to say that a caregiver equals unpaid female relative. (laughs) Okay. But at this point, 40% of caregivers are men.
0: Wow. So that's a change, isn't it,
1: It's it's a change maybe over the last 20 years. It's, 20 it's been years. it's been continuously rising. And it's husbands and then sons and then other male relatives. And in a lot of ways, the support for caregivers may not touch the male caregivers as much. First of all, because men don't ask for help. Men don't talk. Right. Men are not as likely. I mean, my, my partner runs a grief program. And most of the people in his grief program are women because men don't, don't call right. in. They don't.
0: Sure. sure.
1: But I think again, understanding that if you are taking care of something that somebody cannot take care of for themselves, that you are a caregiver and that it's not gender specific, right? It's not age specific. You are a caregiver, Yes, And if we can get more people, more men and more people in general to accept that they're caregivers and learn to reach for help, I think that will be a big support.
0: I would think so. When people are caregiving, just to follow up on that, whether it's a man or a woman, husband or wife, whatever, single or not, do they tend to do it together as a partnership if it's a couple or is it more the onus is on the one versus the other?
1: I, in my experience, the female member of that partnership is the one handling most of it. And we, see, we saw this again, not just in elder care, but in home care, you know, taking care of home issues during COVID, when people were at home, who was doing most of the child care and the education It was a woman. So that is getting a lot more press. But it is hard for everybody who is doing it. And one of the concepts I've developed is the five keys to caregiver survival. And it talks about how you can do this and thrive, not just survive. We'll come back to that in just
0: a little bit. I wanna ask you one other question on this topic, and then we'll start looking forward. And we certainly wanna get to your tips. What I wanna ask you about is another phenomenon that is relatively new in our society, at least it's more pronounced nowadays, And that is the number of singles, single adults, whether they are middle-aged or older. Does that not present greater complications if you're living alone as a middle-aged or older single and you have a parent, let's say, that you have to be caregiving for?
1: I have to answer that in two ways, because one, it's yes, because there are fewer people. But one is no, because in my experience, there can be seven kids in a family. It's always only one okay. <laughs> or two okay. the work. Oh, and really. um, I have a chapter called Prepare to Care that talks about the 40-somethings who are terrified of becoming caregivers. And my coach is the one who made me write that. I mean, she, was her question. She said, I'm an only child, what am I gonna do? And I said, yeah. that's the best situation to be in because you don't have anybody to argue with. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You can just do what you need to do. But I think that the singleness, not only of potential caregivers, but potential seniors, there are more and more seniors who do not have children or whose children are far out of town or are impaired in some way. Yes. That's, that's going to be a big challenge going forward.
0: Yes, thank you for pointing that out. And another thing that you pointed out, which we're not gonna focus on, Is conflicts that can arise among siblings when challenges of their aging parent come into the picture. Looking forward, obviously, is about looking forward. That's why we call it that. And so, if you had to make a prediction or two or three, Cheryl, what trends or developments do you see occurring during the rest of the decade? We won't ask you to look any further than that in terms of the role of caregiving. Assistance provided to caregivers, or, or maybe other things?
1: I think what's making me most optimistic is that so many national aging organizations have made caregiving a major part of their programs. Great. National Council on Aging, AARP, Retirement Research Foundation. I mean, many of them have decided that this is going to be one of the foundations of their programming going forward. And I think that is going to be an important thing because many of these agencies already have the ears of legislators. They're the ones that people are used to consulting about Medicare and and things like that. Well, it's it's more than just Medicare. And I think that these organizations have made a commitment, and I think that is a great thing. There's also a state-by-state effort to develop what are called dementia-friendly communities. where it is easier for people who are caring for someone with dementia and people who are living with dementia to be incorporated into the life of the community rather than isolated. And I think that's something that's positive coming forward.
0: Okay. Well, those are encouraging things. Something else I thought about is when you have a phenomenon like COVID, which really jump-started the move, or further the move in a big way, to have people be able to work remotely. You talked earlier about, well, mom and dad were right next door to me. They're not anymore. What does that suggest for the future? You're gonna have a lot of people saying, hey, I'm gonna work in Florida, my job is in Pittsburgh, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can be wherever I wanna be. Well, mom's in Pittsburgh, but that's okay. I'm gonna be working in Florida. I like Florida. Mm -hmm. What does that suggest?
1: It's going to mean that more people will have to become tech savvy. And I really believe, you know, like Dell and Hewlett Packard and all these other companies donated all this tech to kids so that they could go to school. I would like to see them donating that tech to make sure that older adults are more connected. And as I told you, my aunt, we set up her portal and send it to her and had somebody there hook it up so that we could talk to her. She doesn't have to do anything but push a button. And I think it also brings more intergenerational in, you know, because the kids who are tech savvy can be part of developing those resources for older adults. It goes both directions because they then get the wisdom of being with people who have been on the planet long enough to have seen things move and understand that resilience is important, that this too shall pass. So what are you going to do next? And I think kids need to hear that and older adults need to have the tech. So I think that's going to be a big issue.
0: Okay. And just to clarify for everybody, Cheryl and I had a chance to get to know one another before we went on the air. And she mentioned about her 94-year-old aunt and how Cheryl is still involved in caregiving, not for her mother, but she's also playing a role in helping to caregive for her aunt. So she's still living with this not only in her professional efforts, but also personally. Cheryl, as you know, many individuals sadly have lost their jobs due to COVID, and others may be changing their jobs or starting new careers. We have students out there trying to figure out what they should do for a living, what future they pursue. There's always entrepreneurs looking for opportunities, investors the same way. Where do you see possibilities, opportunities, when you think about this disparate group of individuals, you may not have something for everybody. And I know the caregiving issue is a challenge, but challenges oftentimes create opportunities that fill needs. So I would love to hear, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear what you see as being some opportunities that might help deal with this challenge.
1: I think getting trained as an elder care advisor Someone that a family might call, and I call these people rent-a-daughters. They're folks who would do what you could do (laughs) if you could do it full-time. The um, National Association, well, the Aging Life Care Organization used to be the National Association of Professional Geriatric Care Managers. But every community needs a go-to person. Someone who understands the resources, can help you cut red tape to keep you from wasting your time looking at resources that don't apply to you. So getting that kind of training through a gerontology program and then working with a certifying organization like Aging Life Care so that you can become a force for positive change and support in your community. That's one. But the other thing is COVID has sprung up all of these ugly food organizations, these companies that go around and pick up food that would have been wasted because it's not the right color to sit on the shelf in the grocery store, and they are making these this food available at lower cost to people. And I think most of their marketing is millennials who are at home now and didn't want to go out into the grocery stores. But isolated seniors is a whole new market. Yes. They could, if they tap that market, not only for the seniors, but for caregivers, if the caregiver doesn't have to go to the grocery store, but can get these, these food items delivered safely. I think that that's an open market. I think that would be a really important place for an entrepreneur to step in.
0: Interesting. What about uh, something that you alluded to before, which I think is very important? Where does technology fit into this equation? Technology is being used so often now to, to connect people, to grapple with problems, to help people become more empowered. You mentioned about the need for older people to be trained in technology what role do you see are phones computers or anything else playing with all of this
1: or chromebooks or things that aren't really fancy computers but let you do what you need to do i think that is going to be critical because think about it right now if you go online looking for customer service often there's not a phone number yes right You have to do things online. So I think that getting to seniors, particularly in isolated rural areas and in inner city areas where they may not feel as safe going out to doing things, technology is going to be critical. So that also when you look up caregiving resources, elder care resources, a lot of that is best accessed online. You know, the benefits checkup that you can go online and see what what you have to spend and what you have to come up with, all that's online. You can't get on the phone to do that. And especially now with COVID, you can't walk into the office either. That's right. So I think the technology is going to be important. And again, there are great opportunities because there are many business schools, for example, that have whole sections about entrepreneurial technology. This is a good opportunity for them to step into what I call a market failure. (laughs) There's nobody there that you might be able to step in and not only do some good, but make some money which yeah, I think it's, is important
0: too. It is. That's wonderful. I forget the term that somebody just used on, I think it was LinkedIn about that, but it's this person who is involved in businesses that not only do good, but they also make money. Well, you know, well, I, you know I, do
1: I, I ran a solo private practice. I've run a department in a medical school. It's like no margin, no mission. You know, if you, if you go broke, you can't help anybody. So right. it's not that you're sitting there trying to take all the money. You're trying to make sure that you can be there tomorrow to help somebody.
0: Yes. Thank you for that information. Now I want to get to something that I know a lot of the listeners would be interested in hearing about because there are so many of them out there, whether they're listening right now or will listen in the future, who are grappling with this caregiver challenge. You've already published two books about caregiving. I love In particular, the title of the To Survive Caregiving, A Daughter's Experience, A Doctor's Advice, because it shows how you've been on both sides of the equation. You weren't the care receiver, but you were a clinician, a geriatrician, and also a daughter who was involved in caregiving for your mother. So based on your experience as a geriatrician and a family caregiver, what are a few pieces of advice, Cheryl, that you would share with our listeners about how to more effectively deal with the challenges of caregiving. And we know they're daunting.
1: Well, like I said, I've developed these five keys to caregiver survival. And the first one is don't put your head in the sand. The reason that people are able to do this is they don't deny it's happening. And they find out, do you need help? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's your nosy sister or your bossy brother who thinks something's wrong. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean there's not something wrong. Go and get a geriatrics evaluation and find out if you need help. The second key is take the S off your chest or step away from the kryptonite <laughs> because you do need help. Nobody like is that. super caregiver. <laughs> and then the fifth one I think is the most important one. It's flight attendants tell you to do this when you're on the plane, if something happens and there's emergency, put your mask on first. You cannot take care of somebody if you're sick. And while you're taking care of the mortgage and the house repairs and the doctor appointments and all the medication, you have to remember to take care of the one resource that makes the rest of that happen, and that's their caregiver. So I used to tell people, if you wanna be a good caregiver, you need to go to a Rupa for a week. <laughs> you need to find a way to do things that take care of yourself. And they don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be two or three weeks at a time but it has to be regular so that you can look forward to it. Yes. You know on in, in next week I'm going to have 15 minutes to do whatever or I'm going to have a half day to do whatever. You have to be able to look forward to it and commit to that and get the help you need so you have that half day.
0: Yes, very important. I like the illustrations you give. I like the references that you give to Superman, to the flight attendant, it's always important, I would say, that we make sure we allow some time for ourselves. When you're playing the role of caregiver, it is unbelievably important to make sure that you do that. It's super. The people important. feel
1: guilty. They feel selfish, and yeah. I think it's the big thing that self-care is not selfish. And if you're taking care of your person's caregiver, you're also doing something that allows them to be healthy.
0: Yes. Good points. I'd like you now, Cheryl, as we come to the conclusion of the episode, have you share with our listeners how they can find out more about Dr. Cheryl Woodson, about your books. I know you have two, but there are a couple other ones, I think. You speak to groups, your blog, and anything else, initiatives, whatever you want to share with them. This is your opportunity to let them know more about you and how they can find out more about you.
1: The best way to find out more about me is to like my Dr. Cheryl page on Facebook and to follow my blog, which is called Straight Talk with Dr. Cheryl. (laughs) And my website is www.drcherylwoodson.com. And if you join my community, you'll get all the blurbs about when I'm speaking, where I'm speaking, when the podcasts are, and when the books are coming out. The two caregiver books to survive caregiving, the second edition, and the doctor is in, which is a new book, answering your questions. It answers questions caregivers actually ask me. Like, what do you do if mom gives all her money to Pookie and you don't have money to buy her medications? What do you do? But the most most important new chapter is called Another Kind of Widow. Hmm. It's for people who are married to folks who have dementia. They're not dead, but that's not your spouse either. So how do that grief is worse than any other kind of grief. So those two books will be coming out in November for National Caregiver Month. But my daughter almost died in 2014. Mm. And I wrote some affirmations to keep her going, chose some beautiful nature photography. So Dear Lauren Love Mom, 31 Days of Affirmations for my daughter, for myself, and for you. Came out for Mother's Day last year, and it's still there. Wow. I wrote these things to help her and ended up healing myself because I began to think about things that I had been too busy taking care of other people to think about for me. And so that's available. And so those are the kinds of things I'm doing. You, know, you were talking about the singles, you know, people who are alone. We have to age intentionally. We have to plan for our own senior years, whether that's doing our advanced directives, managing our money, making sure that we have it in place for us to be taken care of. And I call it living out loud and aging
0: excellently.
1: <laughs> where you age intentionally, you set up your plan for how you want to be older. And it's not aging gracefully because there's nothing graceful about it. You have to grab it in the throat, push it down the block.
0: <laughs> I love it. Spoken like a true Temple owl. not that I'm biased people. But uh, <laughs> she's also a Temple owl Why don't you order yes, know I that? Am. Cheryl, this has been wonderful from beginning to end. I'm sure that we're going to hear a lot of positive feedback from our listeners. I hope that they will get in touch with you. I will be posting information about this on my website, on LinkedIn, on many other websites. So please look for that, people. And again, Cheryl, thank you so much for your expertise and your time.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. And I just want everybody to remember that up is that way. (laughs) You know, we can get through this. Yes. We have the resilience and the will to do it. We can do it.
0: Absolutely. By the way, since you can't see her, she was pointing up.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I forgot. pointing in a northerly direction. That's right. right. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F ostrof This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.